Opus Anglicanum refers to the body of unsurpassed English embroidery spanning a period from 1100 to 1450. It took the medieval world by storm and was viewed as an art form in its own right, on a par with architecture, sculpture and stained glass work. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. Opus Anglicanum, the Latin name given to the labour-intensive fine needlework produced by English embroiderers for use on ecclesiastical and secular garments, as well as adornments for book covers, horse trappings, bed covers, bed curtains, jupons, heraldry, purses, belts and decorative hangings, becoming a status symbol for religious leaders, nobles and royalty. In other words, people of wealth. The term Opus Anglicanum was thought to have originated sometime in the 13th century to describe the luxurious and highly prized embroideries featuring elaborate and intricate imagery, noted for their vivacity of pose and expression. Famed for its skilful use of gold work, incorporating underside couching and split stitch techniques, Opus Anglicanum also made great use of rich gold and silver threads, beautifully coloured silk threads, jewels and seed pearls, using ultra decorative design work, incorporating figures, buildings, birds and animals, inspired by contemporary drawings. Specific techniques were used to work faces and hair with natural curls represented by using two contrasting swirling colours. Spiralling split stitch was worked to suggest rounded cheeks and popping eyes. And when you look at these embroideries now, it works beautifully still and is being replicated by embroiderers to this day. Background expanses were often completely covered by stitched gold and foreground figures were embroidered in coloured silks. Initially, this form of needlework was stitched onto a linen ground. However, rich eastern fabrics carried back to England by returning crusaders provided more sumptuous grounds for these embroiderers to stitch onto, such as velvets and gold-coloured fabrics, and included new style influences such as motives of paired animals along with the highly stylized sacred tree of life in their needlework designs. 
just imagine these embroideries glowing by candlelight or reflecting light in a beautifully lit cathedral. The sense of wonderment and amazement at this radiant and glimmering spectacle must have been hugely inspiring and empowering, not only to those who wore or used these precious embroideries, but most especially to those who couldn't afford them. The high watermark period, or Opus Anglicanum's great period, noted for the refinement of this form of needlework, was from 1350 to 1450, with a Vatican inventory dating from 1295, listing over 113 works from England alone, more than any other country. Pope Innocent IV so envied the goldwork embroidery used on the copes and mitres of English priests that chronicler Matthew of Paris reports religious houses were commanded to send more. Matthew also notes that this command of my Lord Pope did not displease the London merchants who traded in these embroideries and sold them at their own price, indicating embroidery's importance as a valued business and trade commodity. Sadly, though, very few secular pieces have survived. The Black Prince's jupon is certainly one, but in the main, survival rates of Opus Anglicanum for non-religious uses are low. Most surviving examples of this style of embroidery were designed for liturgical vestments such as copes, chasubles and orphreys. And because of their value, many of these exquisite and expensive garments were modified for different uses or buried with their owners, such as the vestments of mid-13th century bishops Walter de Cantaloupe and William de Blois, fragments of which were recovered from their tombs in Worcester Cathedral in the 18th century. The coffin of St Cuthbert offered three pieces, probably placed there in the 930s. Researchers have determined that these pieces were made in Winchester between 909 and 916 and are described as of breathtaking brilliance and quality. The designs include figures of saints and are considered important early examples of the Winchester style, closely replicating paintings of that time from Winchester. Many pieces, however, were lost to neglect, destroyed for social beliefs or unpicked or burnt to recover the precious gold and silver threads. The earliest group of surviving embroideries dating from 9th century Belgium, minus most of the precious metal threads which have been picked out, are bands or borders from vestments which would have also included glass beads and pearls incorporated in a scrolling animal decoration. Other surviving examples of Opus Anglicanum include the Adoration of the Magi Chasuble, circa 1325, depicting a nativity scene with decorative motifs of flowers, animals, birds and beasts and angels, and 
the magnificent Butler Bowden Cope, circa 1330 to 1350. Now, this style of embroidery, while exquisite, was also extremely costly. And according to the Historical Needlework Resources website, Queen Isabella, wife of King Edward III of England, paid 100 marks in 1417, the equivalent of £40,000 today, to Rose, the wife of John de Burford, citizen and merchant of London, for an embroidered cope for their choir, lately purchased from her to make a present to the Lord High Pontiff from the Queen. And this was the mother of Edward of Woodstock, the Black Prince, whose jupon was described in my last episode. It's been suggested that Henry III's altar frontal for Westminster Abbey took up to four years to make, costing more than a farm worker's lifetime income. Mabel of Bury, a 13th century embroiderer, was recorded 24 times in the Liberati rolls of Henry III of England between 1239 and 1242, authorising royal officers to make payments. In 1239, Mabel was paid £10 for embroidering a chasuble and offertory veil, using pearls purchased for her as well as being given 40 shillings to buy the gold necessary for the embroidery. It's recorded that Mabel also embroidered a stole, a fanon, an amice, collars and cuffs for Henry III, as well as an embroidered standard for Westminster Abbey. By the time of Henry III of England, 1216-72, to the bulk of this style of needlework was being worked in professional workshops located in London, and by the 15th century, the establishment of European workshops can be seen, emulating these techniques just as skilfully. Now, while these items were used by courts of noblemen, royalty and the church, they were also highly prized as diplomatic and political gifts. Nuns and noblewomen stitched many of these pieces, but highly trained professionals made larger embroideries, such as the Scion Cope, using expensive imported materials. And according to the Textile Research Centre's website, names of some of these medieval embroiderers have survived. Robert Ashcombe, Thomas Carlong, William Cauteray and Alexander Lesseteray, along with a signed piece by a medieval nun, Joanna Beveray. Merchants and noble patrons often funded embroidery workshops, most of which were located in London, the principal port through which the lavish imported materials arrived. But there was also an Opus Anglicanum workshop located in the Tower of London, possibly for the making of ceremonial and military garments. History now steps in, however to see the culmination of the majority of Opus Anglicanum embroidery by the mid-14th century, 
caused by the Black Death, when many embroiderers, their patrons and customers perished, quickly followed by the financial consequences of the Hundred Years' War. Add to that changes in the fashionable use of embroidered embellishment on religious and secular garments, which leaned towards a different mode of gold embroidery, that of Ornoué from France and the Netherlands. The 16th century Reformation in Britain, with the destruction of numerous monasteries and religious establishments, saw the loss of many valuable pieces of Opus Anglicanum. Yet some pieces survived from this time, having been hidden by those who obviously loved them and deemed them precious. I'm going to delve further into Opus Anglicanum in my next episode, but thank you for your valuable time. I so appreciate you being here to enjoy my journeys of exploration into the art of the needle. Don't forget Stitch Safari is on Facebook and Instagram where I post interesting tidbits periodically. Until my next episode, bye for now. Mm-hmm.